This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. With that being said, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, but please turn to chapter 5 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been in a series in 1 Peter, and we were supposed to be at the end of chapter 1, but in light of what is taking place today, we need to draw our attention to chapter 5 because it directly addresses what is happening in this historic moment. Today is a significant day in our life as a church as we ordain another pastor here. If you're unfamiliar with what ordination is, ordination is the biblical practice where a man is set aside for ministry as a pastor in Jesus' church and anointed for that task by the Holy Spirit through laying on of hands. We see this, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. And so I'm excited for us to see what God has to say to us about what it means for a man to be ordained as an elder in Jesus' church. As you know, if you've been with us in this book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter is really all about this theme of living as exiles. This earth is not our home, but a place that we are passing through on the way to the true home that we are created by God to enjoy, the new heavens and the new earth, where God is going to redeem all things and dwell with his people in glory forever. That, that's where we're going. And First Peter is all about how do we live now in light of that being our true and final home. How do we live as exiles? And we've seen how it means that we are to live with unshakable hope. Last week we saw how it is calling us to live with unthreatened joy. We've seen how being in exile gives us an unchangeable peace and an unswerving purpose. And today, in God's great love, what we're going to see is that as we travel through this world as exiles, he's not left us to travel alone, but has given us various gifts to help us navigate this life. We have seen already in our study in 1 Peter, how he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell our hearts. And that theme is going to be addressed later on in the letter as well. He, he has given us the gift of his church to help us grow in our faith. We're going to see a lot of that in chapter 2. But here in chapter 5, we see that God has given us the gift of elders to help pastor us. And I'm intentionally saying that word us because I am not just a pastor, but I'm someone who needs to have pastors in my life. Pastors need pastors, as I know Pastor Ian and Pastor Matt would agree. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 today. My prayer is that each one of us would leave here, not only with a greater understanding of what is happening today, but being affected by what is happening today. God, the almighty maker of the universe, he loves us, which is why he has given us a, the gift of elders to his church to help pastor us. And so today is, is really not just about ordaining a pastor, today is about celebrating God's love. And so I hope and pray that each person here would leave here today with a little bit more of an understanding of God's great love for you in Jesus. I've told this morning separate, uh, 
sermon, Exiles, the Shepherd's Love. The Shepherd's Love. Let's read together in God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Praise God for his holy word. May it be at this now through the preaching of it. I know I stopped midway through verse 5. Um, just so you're aware, verses and chapters like weren't originally in the Bible. And so sometimes I think they're put in the wrong place. Uh, they're to help us navigate. And so I think actually it's much more appropriate to have the end of verse 5 included in verse 6. And we'll get to that when we get there later on in the sermon. But would you bow your head with me now and, and pray as we ask for God's help. God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for this holy word that you inspired your servant Peter to write to those ancient people, the cities of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. But Lord, it wasn't just for those people. Because you were inspiring him by your Holy Spirit, Lord, it is your very words which you have, you have preserved throughout history for us for this moment today. Lord, you want to speak to us today through what we just read. And so I pray you would open our hearts that we might hear what you have to say. Lord, we're going to hear something physically with our ears, but we pray for your blessing that we may hear something spiritually in our hearts. We need your help, Lord God. I need your help. So Lord, please come and help us in this holy task of hearing your word preached. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I want us to consider three questions from this text this morning that address what is happening in our church today. What is an elder? What does an elder do? And how is the church to respond to elders? What is an elder? What does an elder do? And how is a church to respond to the elders? So what, what, what is an elder? I think it's remarkable that Peter addresses these individuals, uh, uh, this church, uh, as a fellow elder. Think about it. This is Peter. Who is Peter? Peter is one of the original 12 disciples. Not only the original 12 disciples, he was part of Jesus' inner circle of three. You could make an argument that there was no one on earth closer to Jesus relationally than Peter. I mean, if I were him, I probably would, would lead with that. You know, I address you as Peter. Jesus is BFF. You know, we got the friendship bracelets and everything, right? Like, like I probably would I probably wear that on my sleeve a little bit, but that's not where he goes. He doesn't go there. He doesn't even go to the fact that he's an apostle. Now, he starts his letter by calling himself an apostle, someone who had been specially filled by the Holy Spirit to write Holy Scripture. But, but here, he's not even referring to himself as that. He's calling himself an elder, speaking to what he says are his fellow elders. 
This is immediately meant to indicate us that there is a significance and importance to this role of eldership. Now, when we hear that word elder, we might think of various things. Uh, I like to read fantasy literature, and so I think of different elders that take place in Lord of the Rings or something like that. Or, you know, you think about a phrase we have in our culture, you've got to respect your elders. We think about something referring to age. But that's not at all what Peter is talking about here. He's actually taken a term that is rich in meaning from the Old Testament. As we've already seen throughout this letter, one of Peter's main concerns is to continually quote from the Old Testament and show what applies to us as people in the New Testament to show that there's only ever been one people of God. He is repeatedly making the point that, that God is not doing something new. He's just continuing what he already started. And being part of the people of God is not primarily or, or at all an ethnic designation, but rather a spiritual transformation that God causes in our lives. Right? God promised Abraham that through him a nation would be birthed, yes, but that nation then would, then would cause the blessing to come to all the nations. Right? God's plan is to have all peoples for himself, peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation to come to know him and love him and glorify him for his great redemptive salvation in Christ. And so this word elder is a word that's taken from Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus chapter 18, Israel has become a large nation. Moses is the leader, but he needs some help. And so he appoints different men of character from each clan of Israel, and he gives them authority to lead a specific part of God's people to follow God's word. This then continues as they settle in the promised land and they start to set up synagogues, places where they could go and be taught God's word. Those synagogues were, were overseen by men who were called elders. And so what we see in the Old Testament is that eldership is a position of spiritual authority to lead God's people to follow God's word. Now I know as soon as I use that word authority in our culture, that can immediately bring up some negative connotations. And first, I want to say that I, I just deeply lament the ways that authority can and have been abused and the tremendous hurt that I know that has caused even people sitting in this room. Praise God, it has not happened in our church, but church hurt is a real thing. And, and, and I just lament that and grieve that. It has been a a privilege, but also a sadness, just the amount of people that, that I've had to counsel through tremendous pain that's come by people not being treated as they should have been in the church. I'm grateful that our church is a place of healing and restoration, but you also sometimes feel and kind of wish, I wish many people didn't need to be healed because <laughs> there wasn't so much hurt going on. It's a sadness. It's a sadness that we just need to acknowledge. And it's crucial that we understand the nature, when we're talking about authority, it's crucial that we understand the nature of what the elder's authority is. It's not ultimate authority. It's not an authority that can be wielded or, or used to hurt or abuse. No, notice what verse 4 says. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, we're going to look at more what it means for an elder to be a shepherd, but here's what we need to understand. The elder's shepherding authority is under the authority of the chief shepherd Jesus Christ. Elders are shepherds, but elders are also sheep. 
There's only one true shepherd, one chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And while here in verse 4, it's talking about when Jesus appears, he's going he's to reward his faithful elders. And so that is something that we look forward to and, and anticipate. But, but we also need to understand when Jesus appears, there, there's something else that's going to happen that we're told in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're told that when the chief shepherd appears, when God appears, what's going to happen? Every elder is going to be held to account by him for how they cared for the souls of the people that he entrusted to them. God cares so much about the care of his church that he requires every elder that he appoints in his church to answer directly to him. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. As some of you know, I'm the chaplain for the Philadelphia Phillies, part of an organization called Baseball Chapel, and Baseball Chapel provides chaplains for every major and minor league team in North America and in South America. It's, it's hundreds of chaplains. It's a huge organization. But for a while, I was the only chaplain in the entire organization who had to answer directly to the president of the whole thing. Why? Not because I'm special, not at all, but because he used to work for the Phillies. And so the Phillies have a special place in his heart. And so because he cared specially for the Phillies, he needed to find out a little bit more about this guy who had just been brought on to care for this organization that he had invested so much of his time in. And so because he cared about the Phillies, the one who was entrusted to care for the Phillies had to answer directly to him. Friends, God cares about you. Acts chapter 20 verse 28 says that Jesus shed his blood for his church. That's how much he cares about this gathering that is taking place right now. He loves you. He has brought you together to be part of his people. He shed his blood for his church. He suffered for you. He bled for you. He gave his life for you. He experienced the hell that you deserve so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be adopted as his beloved children, cherished for eternity. He loves you lavishly beyond anything that you or I could possibly imagine or that my words could possibly hope to convey. He loves you with an eternal love that started in eternity past and will stretch forward into eternity future. He loves you. And so for anyone who's going to lead his church, he requires them to be directly accountable to him. And I think if every pastor truly believed that, <laughs> there would be no scandals and there would be no abuse of power. If you know that the God of the entire universe who desperately loves his church is going to require the leaders of his church to answer to him in an appropriate way that should fill your heart with a holy fear. And I just want anyone to hear right now who has been hurt by misuse of authority. I, I hope that in this moment you feel a certain sense of protection and vindication. People might get away with things here on earth. But there's no escaping the account that will have to be given to the God of heaven. Your hurt matters to God, and he will hold it for you. There will be account 
given to the one who has all authority and who loves you as his precious child. And I want you to know that for your elders here, for me, for Matt, for Ian, for a few weeks, are you still with us? Um, For Caleb, as of today, we are very aware that we're going to have to give an account to God for how we care for you. And we are very aware that we're going to have to give an account to God for how we care for you as those that he dearly loves. And you need to know that this awareness drives us to our knees in prayer. For we are not sufficient for such a weighty role. We need God's help so that we can carefully and faithfully be the elders that God has called us to be and use the authority that God has entrusted us with for your good. And so what it means to be an elder is to be given spiritual authority to care for God's family as those who have to give an account to God for how they care for God's family. That, that's what an elder is. But what does an elder do? How do we actually express this care? Well, we see this in verse 2. He says, I exhort the elders to do what? Look down to verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you. What elders do is that they shepherd people. Shepherd's actually where we get our word pastor. In some church traditions, there can be a separation between pastor and elder, but biblically, we see there's no separation. They're actually used interchangeably. An elder is a pastor. Eldership describes the office. Pastor describes the function. What what elders do is that they, they pastor, they shepherd people. As we are ordaining Caleb to be an elder today, what we're tasking him to do as this church is we are tasking him by the Holy Spirit to pastor us, to shepherd our souls. So what does that mean? What does it mean to shepherd, to shepherd someone's souls? Well, I wish I had tons of time to give you chapter and verse for all these things, but we need to see broadly speaking in Scripture, it means four things to be a shepherd. It means to know, feed, lead, and protect. What does it mean to be a shepherd of people's souls? It means that you know the flock, you feed the flock, you lead the flock, and you protect the flock. I will break down each of those just briefly. Faithful shepherds know the sheep that Jesus has entrusted to their care. He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Right? Shepherds need to know who is among them. This is one of the many reasons that we think church membership is so important. We have another class coming up in the fall to receive in new members. Church membership lets a pastor know who's among them. Like if we have to give an account... Who do we have to give an account for? We need to be able to identify that. We need to be able to know who is, who is amongst us, who is, who is here. The pastor needs to know that so, so that they can know who is here so that they can then know how they are. To know means not just knowing a name on a page, but to know the condition of people's souls. And this is why we actually have a need for multiple pastors. That's why verse 1 says, so I exhort the elders amongst you. Notice that is in the plural. If you read the New Testament, you'll find that actually elders are always referred to in the plural. The New Testament doesn't really know anything of a church that's only pastored by one pastor. It's always speaking about multiple pastors, and there's multiple reasons for that. I think one is a mutual accountability that takes place in that. But also, the reality is there's just too many people to know for one pastor to know. 
And so the goal is to have money pastors so that the condition of the flock can be known. Shepherds are not to be CEOs who manage organizations from behind the safety of a desk. No, a faithful shepherd will smell like sheep because they're spending so much time in and amongst the people. They, they know that. We can't be friends with everyone, although I'd love to be able to do that. But the reality is, like, I, you know, we can't be best friends with everyone, but we can know everyone. And we want you, if you are a member of this church, we want you to be known. We want you to, we want to know how you are. And some people can make that difficult because they hide and they're absent. They're not here. Um, and we're going to try to do our best to chase you down and find you. Um, so it, it is a two-way street. We can only know you as well as you're willing to be known. But our desire is to know you. Is to know you. To know you and to feed you. It is not by chance that Peter is using this metaphor of shepherd to talk about what elders do. This is very personal to him if you know anything about his story. In John chapter 21, when Peter had failed Jesus, Jesus comes back from the dead, he finds Peter, he forgives him, and he restores him to his ministry. And he tells him three times in John chapter 21, Jesus says, what do you want me to do, Lord? He says, feed. Feed, feed. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. So the shepherd does. The shepherd makes sure that the sheep under his care are well fed. How do we do that? Well, friends, we teach the word of God. This is our spiritual food. Jesus says this word is our daily bread. And so part of how shepherds care for, 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 the, for the flock is not just knowing the sheep, but faithfully feeding God's word to the sheep. This could happen through preaching, like, like it's taking place right now, or it could happen in a small group setting or, or a class setting, or it could just happen one-on-one. -on -one. There are all kinds of different ways that we have the opportunity to teach God's Word, but this is what we want to do as your pastors. We want to teach you God's Word. We have nothing to say ourselves. And you don't need more people giving you their opinions. Well, we're going to have to give God an account for is how he faithfully taught you what he said and told us to say to you. What we do as pastors is we, we take this word and try to use our words to help explain this word to you so that you can be fed by it. The, the, the goal of good teaching is not that you walk away with like, wow, what a brilliant insight. The goal of good teaching is you could be like, oh yeah, that's right there. I see that. That's our goal, to teach you, to see God's word and what he's saying right here for yourselves. Now, sometimes this means that we have hard things to say, because God's word says hard things. As sheep, and pastors are sheep too, we're shepherds who are sheep, as sheep, we don't need someone just to pet us. We need someone who's going to feed us. And we might not always like what we're being fed. But when we see God's heart displayed for us in Jesus, we can trust that his way and his words are always best. And so even those parts of God's word that are hard to swallow, friends, those are probably the parts that we need to hear the most. And God's word is powerful. 
And so we don't ever have to be fearful about anything he says. There's a big push in churches right now to tone down certain teachings, to to change what is said. We don't want to be on the wrong side of history, so we're going to adapt our message to the cultural moment. We're just not going to talk about those parts of the Bible. Those parts of the Bible that challenge our sexual ethics, for example. We're just not going to talk about that. We're going to keep the message light because we want to gather a big crowd. Listen, friends, I'm not accountable to gather a big crowd. I'm accountable to teach you God's word. Caleb, you're not accountable to gather a big crowd. You're not accountable for giving people things that they want to hear. You are accountable to faithfully teach God's word to the chief shepherd that you're going to have to answer to. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to faithfully feed you God's word because God's word is good and God's word is life. And even when it is hard for us to hear, oh, friends, compared to the emptiness of this world, there is nothing better for us to receive than the spiritual nourishment of God's word. I could talk about that for a while. I got to move on. God's word. We got to. We, we got to. We got to know God's uh, God's church. We got. We got to be able to feed the flock, and then we have to lead. Part of being a shepherd is leading. That's what shepherds do. They they lead the flock from one place to another. We hear and see in this passage that means shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you, exercising oversight. That oversight is speaking to leadership. It, it means making decisions, giving spiritual direction. For the various things that the church does. We might delegate certain decision-making responsibilities for various things. But, you know, as pastors, we certainly don't drop into every decision of, of every little thing that happens uh, in, in our church. But I want you to know, we're responsible for every decision. I, I might not make the, the schedule for children's ministry, but I'm responsible for what happens in children's ministry. Right? As is every pastor here. And so we take that responsibility very seriously. We, we, we want to lead and make wise decisions under the authority of God's word for the good of this church. And we don't want to delegate that. We don't want to form committees and get popular polls so that we can just be run like a democracy and do whatever is going to please people the most. No, no, no. We want to lead. Yes, we want feedback. Yes, we want to hear. Good leadership is always influenced by those that they're leading. But we want to lead and make the hard decisions that we have to make for the glory of God and the good of our church, the good of this church, the good of Jesus' church. And part of leading is not just making decisions, not just exercising oversight in verse 2, but also we see down at the end of verse 3, it says that pastors are to shepherd by being examples to the flock. Part of how a shepherd is to lead is through their personal example of godliness. If you look at the letters of 1 Timothy, in chapter 3, or in Titus chapter 1, and it gives different qualifications for elders, you'll notice that almost all of them are character-driven. Very few of them are gifting-driven. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. as He says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what pastor is being called to do. It's not just a, a man who, who is gifted for the task. It's a man who's whose character qualifies for that task. I'm so grateful that we have Caleb's example of godliness to follow. If you know Caleb, you know he is a man who is governed by God's word and will do what God says, even at personal sacrifice to himself. 
I'm regularly moved not only by his strong convictions about God's word, but by his tender heart of compassion for those who are often overlooked by many. Caleb, Caleb loves people like Jesus loves people. And we have a lot to learn from him. I'm grateful personally for that example in my life. It's part of why we actually have tasked him pastorally to oversee our mercy ministries, you know, like our recovery ministry. And he's already been doing a great job overseeing, overseeing that. He just has a heart that bleeds for people. And I'm grateful for the examples in our church. You know, Caleb, you know, he is generous. He is faithful. He will do what he says. He shares boldly about Jesus in his workplace and cares for those who are under his care, even as he is a general manager of a restaurant. There are so many ways that I'm eager for us to be able to follow his example. And as he comes into this role, to be more influenced by the man that he is. Shepherds know, they feed, they lead. And shepherds protect. Shepherds protect. Shepherds have to protect against false teaching that would pollute the church. We're seeing a lot of that in the American church right now. This is a time where protection is needed and courage is called for. False teaching that would pollute the church. Wolves that would harm people in the church. People who come in acting like they are sheep, but their agenda is to disrupt and harm and hurt. Pastors have to guard against that. We care for sheep. We shoot wolves. And so we're welcome to anyone. We have our doors open to anyone. But if we find that there is someone who is harming people here, I want you to be assured they will quickly be shown the way out. We protect against wolves that will harm people. We protect against divisive people that, that would disrupt the unity of the church. This is why we're going to address gossip. If we hear reports of people talking about people instead of talking to people, we want to we be quick to, to, to move into that because that's divisive. It starts to spread disunity. And so we're going to protect the church against these things. We, we want to be active and watching out for what is threatening the church. And how can we address it? How can we care for you to protect you? Those that Jesus deeply loves. Pastors know, they feed, they lead and protect. And they are to do so gladly. Notice that Peter does not just describe what an elder does, which is shepherd. That's what an elder does. But he also speaks about how they should shepherd, what the state of their, their soul should be, what the state of their heart should be. Did you see that in verses 2 through 3? He says, shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you, exercising over, oversight. Here's motivation, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is what God wants. God wants eager pastors who joyfully take up the task of caring for his flock as a divine privilege. Again, friends, we see God's love for us in this. He loves us, and so he wants elders to shepherd us from a place of love for us. He's not looking for guys trying to make a career move. He's not looking for someone who just wants to get to the top of the org chart. I've been a Christian for a while. I think it's about time that I step into leadership. No, he's not looking for any of that. There's only one appropriate motivation for being an elder, and that is that God has birthed in you a love for his church. I think about my children. I think about their future spouses and something that Angie and I regularly pray for. Pray, Lord, give them someone who loves them more than we do. 
It's the only people that we're going to let them go to. Because we love them a whole lot, and we don't think they deserve anything less. If anything, they deserve more. Because if my sons or my daughters come home with someone, and that person doesn't think they're it, if that person isn't eager to be in that relationship, those jokers are going to be shown the door. I love my children, and so I want my children to be loved. Friends, God loves us, and so he wants us to be loved. This is my pastor's just going through the motions. This is my job. What else am I going to do? You know, no, he wants, I wake up in the morning, and yes, it's hard, and yes, there's wolves, and man, I got some claw marks on my back from the day before. Yes, there's angry emails to answer yet again. Yes, there's all these challenging things, but I wake up glad in Christ because this is the church that Jesus died to create. That's what God wants for his pastors in his church. That's what God wants for you. He loves you. And so he doesn't want any jokers caring for his church. He wants men who are eager to love his bride. Jesus wants shepherds. Jesus wants elders who are shepherds who know, feed, lead, and protect the church because they love the church. That's, that's who an elder is. That's what an elder does. Now just very quickly at the end, how are we to respond? How, how do we respond? Notice, this passage does not just leave us with what an elder does. It leads us to how we are to respond. It says in verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, just like elders, not a reference to age, so too being younger isn't. In the context of 1 Peter, this is talking about being young in the faith, an immature believer, if you will. Now, this doesn't mean that mature believers, people who have been Christians for a long time, uh, don't need to be subject to the elders. No, I think actually Peter's point is that mature Christians don't need to be told to do that. You just know already that that's good for you. Part of being a mature Christian is understanding your need to be under the shepherding care of a pastor. See, if elders are being who God has called us to be, then it's going to bring us joy to want to follow their lead. It's been so good for my soul to be subject to so many good pastors in my life over the years. Right now, it has been so good for my soul to be subject to the men that God has called to be pastors here. Just to give you a little window into what can happen in our meetings sometimes, I'm the ideas guy. I have about 20 different ideas a day. And so um, if you tell, that's why if you like want to get something done in the church, come talk to me. I'll tell you how it's great and I'll try to make it happen. Uh, I just love ideas. I love to do it. Um, however, if I did all that and every idea that came into my mind, our church would splinter into a thousand different directions. You should be grateful that I'm subject to the elders, that we have to vote on what happens and that I often lose those votes. Um, it is good for my soul. It's like, you know what? We're talking through something. And... And, and I, think I'm, uh, I think we should go this way. And they're like, no, we're praying about it. We talk about it. It's like, actually, no, we should actually go this way. And you know what? That's, they're usually right. Sometimes they're wrong. They're usually, no. <laughs> no, we, we talk about this all the time. God doesn't, God doesn't just move. We're not, we're not like, you know, one pastor goes and hears from God and comes back and this is what. No, no, no. God talks to us as an eldership. He speaks to us together. We're subject to one another. We're all under the authority of the eldership as pastors. It's been good for my soul to be under authority. It's been good for my soul. It's been good for you that this church isn't just left up to me, but that God has seen fit to raise up other men to help care for you. I'm blessed by that. There's safety in that. I'm blessed by the times I've been corrected by men who love me, love my family, 
and carefully and faithfully according to God's word, bring me correction as needed at times in my life. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I get to hear God's word taught by these men in various contexts. I've grown through their teaching. And my joy in Jesus has increased. See, following a pastor's friends, it's a good thing. If they're the type of pastor this passage outlines. Don't, don't you want to follow someone who's going to help you love Jesus more? I do. But this is what it means to be subject to the elders. It's not saying that, 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 that we have absolute authority in every part of your life, and so you, know, you have to come wash my car later this afternoon. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying follow them as they follow Christ. What a good and glad thing that we can do. Today, we are given the being given the opportunity by God to follow Caleb as he follows Christ. This is God's goodness to us. And 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us the heart that we should have as we follow our pastors. This is the heart that you should have for Caleb. Hopefully you had already before, but even more so today. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem with love. Esteem with love. As we follow our pastors, our hearts are not to be reluctant, not to be grumbling, not to be constantly criticizing, not speaking uncharitably, not just venting and dumping. No, we are to love. We're to love. I'm so grateful for how for so many of you I want you to hear this from me personally. I feel so loved by you. Not all of you. No, no, I'm sure. Uh, I'm so grateful. It's a joy to be a pastor here. It's a joy to be a pastor here. It's a joy to receive your love. We're not asking you today, just open your hearts up a little bit more. Open your hearts up a little more to love Caleb as your pastor as well. To receive the word from him. To follow him as he follows Jesus and to do so with a loving heart. And you know the best way you can do that? You know the best way you can love us? The best way you can love Caleb, please pray for us. Please pray for us. Charles Spurgeon, was a faithful pastor for decades, was once asked, what was the secret to his long-lasting and fruitful leadership? He said, that's easy. My church prays for him. Today we are being invited to pray for Caleb, pray for his family, his wife Jesse, his children, Titus, Alice, and Andrew. Please pray for God's protection. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Today, Caleb is signing up to have a target put on his back. Please pray for him. Pray for his protection. Pray for wisdom as he and, and we as your pastors want to be wise according to God's word. Pray for energy as this work can be tiring. Pray mostly though, pray mostly that we would have always in our hearts warm affections for Christ. Pray that the overflow of Caleb's ministry and each of your pastor's ministry would always come by being strengthened by the Spirit to know the width and length and height and depth of the love of God for us in Christ that we might care for you as those who are being filled by the fullness of God. We don't want to just tell you about God's love. We want to we want to tell you about God's love. Pray that we would continue to have our hearts warmed by Christ. That we might then give some of that warmth to you. As we come to a close, friends, the chief shepherd, Jesus, he loves you. 
He died on the cross for you. He has nailed scarred hands that are always open and forgiveness to you. He is right now in heaven preparing a place for you. We are exiles here on earth, but our great shepherd is going to make sure we get, make it home. Part of how he does that is by providing elders to shepherd us on our way home. Not by pointing to themselves, but by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so what's ultimately happened today is this is really not about Caleb. It's about God's love for us. And so may we feel God's love. May we receive God's love. May we honor God by rejoicing in the good of his love. As we receive another under-shepherd of Jesus, given to us as a gift, as his expression of love for this church. Would you bow your head with me now in the word of prayer?